Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of this ARU podcast series, The Out of Hospital Science. Today's episode is titled Facing Death. Firstly, we will discuss why sometimes death can be such a taboo topic when it comes to having a conversation with patients and what student training should entail regarding delivering bad news to family members, as well as dealing with our own emotions. With me today, I have uh, student paramedics Tom and Bailey. If you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourselves. So, uh, my name is Bailey. I'm a second year student paramedic. And I'm studying at Anglo Ruskin University. Hello, I am Tom, and I am a second year student paramedic doing the BSc degree in paramedic science at Anglo Ruskin. Well, thanks very much, Tom and Bailey, for joining me on this episode of the Arts Office of Science. Uh, let's start by talking about death being something that clinicians sometimes hide away from or don't like talking about it too much. Um, why, why do you think that is? Um, I guess when we talk about death being something clinicians hide away from, I guess, in the pre-hospital environments. Um, I think as a student, I haven't seen a vast amount of deaths, but I um, have come into contact with a few. Um, I think sometimes the ambulance service um, see itself as like 100% a preventative measure for the critically ill and dying, but um, I think um, the ambulance service now in 2019 has definitely recognised that it needs to provide training for staff, for um, patients outside that window, such as um, palliative care. Mm. Um, I think maybe past practice has influenced the feeling of not talking about death, but I think that culture is definitely changing. Definitely with support from um, services such as McDonald's support and other referrals. Um, I think as well, it's probably comes back to reflective practice. So I think I think for hundreds and thousands of years, maybe um, cultural practice around this. I think many cultures around the world differ. So as you said, in Spain, I think um, you embrace death so as a celebration of life. But I think in the UK and Ireland and Europe, people are more pro to mourn death rather than celebrate it. Mm. Um, so as I said, I think we're driven by practices gone before us, and that's why maybe we don't look at death as a natural process in Ireland, in the UK, etc. But I think we're definitely getting better at it. But I think at the same uh, at the same time, I don't think the fact that I don't think we can look at death, um, someone's dead as a celebration um, of their life as a negative thing. I think through all these um, all these emotive feelings, such as depression, being mad, upset, they're all a natural process and sometimes our way of celebrating somebody's death and somebody's life. Um, then I guess think for the patient in terms of accepting death and not accepting it, I think it's driven by fear of the unknown. So we come into the world, I guess, kicking and screaming and luckily for the majority of us, we're surrounded by loving and caring friends and families. Mm-hmm. And then we spend our whole life um, aiming, working towards a goal. And then one day we have to die and that's pretty scary. That one day we all wake up and there might be anything after that. Yeah, I I really see your point there, especially when it comes to what you, when you talk about the perception of the ambulance service yeah. being the people who save lives, and I think the general public struggle to see us as you know as 
prof as healthcare professionals that can also provide yeah. dignity in death and and you know a comfortable death. Yeah. And even families of palliative patients, sometimes yeah. you know, they see an ambulance and they see us. Oh, we're here to save yeah. their family, yeah. mem the family member's life. But sometimes you know, providing a dignified death is what our yeah. job should really be. Bailey, what do you think? Um, yeah, I'd kind of touch on a little bit on what Tom said about the whole mourning idea. Um, people seem to think uh, about when death being obscure, if they don't talk about it, it's not happening. Mm. Um, patients seem very reluctant to kind of talk about, and patients' families, to talk about what actually is coming, what is happening, and they know that potentially that they're going to die, and just kind of think avoiding talking about it is the solution. And I think the clinicians have adapted that because kind of going in and talking about all these big things about you're dying, mention kind of pops the bubble they've set themselves in. They've created their world. Obviously, as Tom said, they work, they've worked, you worked your entire life for something. And even when you know that maybe it's going to vanish soon, people can't accept that. And so don't pretend it isn't happening. Mm. Continue on in the best way they can. And by kind of like unwrapping themselves in this protective envelope and just trying to keep themselves safe rather than embracing this as something I have no control over and I maybe just celebrating it. I've lived a great life, blah, blah, this and all that type of thing. Kind of think of hold on to their last few moments and as if it's like living every moment as if you're last like and expect kind of just drop and stop. Mm. Um, and so the clinicians have adapted to that as I was saying. They go, okay, we can't mention it because they won't receive it well. And so clinicians then seem a bit weary of talking patients, by the way. Have you ever thought about what happens after? Have you ever thought about getting yeah. a DNR in place? Have you thought about and things like, do you understand the palliative care that's being set in place and things like that? I think it'd be quite important as clinicians to be able to differentiate and adapt because I think there is an acute death a death that you're not expecting, yeah. i.e., you know, an acute cardiac arrest, and then the palliative patient, where the patient and the family members are aware yeah. that this is a dying patient. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important to differentiate those two kind of situations. Well, um, I think I've noticed from having went to I went to a palliative care death and a cardiac arrest death, and. They actually, the way the family presented to me seemed very similar in both cases because people pretend it isn't happening. And so mm. even though even though they know that this patient, uh, if it is palliative care, is go it doesn't have long life because they've ignored it for so long, pretended it isn't happening, that when it does, it's still, it isn't something they've prepared for because they've left themselves to the last moment. And so the, uh, the family I've seen in both circumstances, and that might just be my experience, seemed very unprepared very not ready and then so obviously get hit with that sadness that follows losing someone you care about and because they didn't have time to prepare for it didn't have time to right. enjoy their last moments potentially with that person then like would you think um community or primary care should offer family members support when it comes to you know telling them that their family member is now a palliative patient and that you know, their end-of-life care, that they will die at some point in the next months, weeks, years. Do you think there is a place in the community where support for these family members should be put in place? Yeah, definitely, because that's, that is the thing. I, like, of course, losing someone and that person losing their life is always 
very big medical thing, well, mm. potentially at least, and they're going to be primary focus as a the patient, but that doesn't mean the family member still can't be a patient. I think that's kind of like when we walk in, roll up to a job, we say, here's our one bloke or lady who might have something wrong and yeah. might uh, sadly pass and, and things that we can't prevent. But now we're surrounded potentially by these group of people who have not lost someone so important to them and they potentially potentially might get over that themselves, yeah. but potentially could need that support as well. Yeah. And so being able to actually help and actually know, hey, here's somewhere you can go, here's this, here's that, it might be a bit better rather than just worse, but then not just our condolences, which yeah. kind of seems like what we have at the minute a little bit. I think a good starting step to changing that would be providing students with training and tools regarding death, uh, delivering bad news to family, um, the care of palliative patients, and also dealing with our personal emotions after going to someone who has died. Um, Tom, what do you think you and your colleagues would benefit from in terms of when it comes to dealing with these kinds of situations on placement? I think some exposure or more exposure is the best case in, the, in these cases. Um, unfortunately, we probably don't get as much exposure as we'd like. But I think as you progress through your training, the more encounters you have with these patients, the more confident you're going to get with dealing with them. But as I said, unfortunately, we don't really see a lot of the palliative care patients. But you think that experience matters? Yeah, I think experience combined with education, I think we should be probably maybe studying maybe some new psychology. Um, mm. for Kubler-Rossi stages of dying. I'm sure. That's really interesting. And yeah, I really find it interesting. I did it at college before I came to university. So going from the not expecting you're going to die to expecting it, um, I think definitely education around that is definitely vital. And maybe more exposure. So unfortunately, we don't get that. So. Yeah, we can't choose exposure, but we can certainly choose yeah. um, the you know training that is delivered to us. And yeah. um, I think what you say about talking about the stages of bereavement yeah. um, and also the way that we need to communicate with those family members I think we yeah. would really benefit from from training in that. Um, Bailey do you have anything you want to add in terms of what we should be what would you like to see in your course to help you when it comes to these patients? Um, I think obviously with palliative care there's so many things that could, like lead a person to being that and so it's a very broad topic um, for our patients, I would just say being able to understand what they're going through. This is like the whole five stages of grief thing. Um, our patients are most likely going to go through denial of their disease, anger about it, but so potentially are the families as well. Mm. And so, um, being able to recognize things like that and just like recognize maybe more of environments and stuff like reading a room, maybe which is a strange way to put it, but mm. being able to understand and see how potentially people who are in the room both patient and family are perceiving what you're telling them and maybe able to offer more isolated support so saying if someone has accepted that this is happening great being able to explain them further down what the cause is if they're denial about it being able to maybe give them more information explain why what's happening to them why it's happening the effect it'll have on them so people aren't surprised by anything um, that might be something that'd be good for us to see and us to be able to do for our patients be able to understand and give a better like explanation as to the stages they're at might be something that's good because then you know kind of that knowledge is power thing it's not a shock something happens and they're not like oh well this is part of it it's something that okay i know this is coming 
and I've called an ambulance for this every reason, and they've told me this, so I know what happens again. Mm. This, or I know things I might, other things I might be able to expect as well. So focusing on reassurance mm-hmm. and informing those pa- those patients and the families of how normal it is to go through what they're going through. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe just a bit of an understanding about. We obviously we are taught so much, and there is so much to learn, and I understand that that has to be condensed. But maybe a, a good understanding of okay, so these are some things you can go to um, and just like having a better understanding that this is a palliative thing and maybe not just being told it exists, good luck with it or mm. like you'll have to deal with it, maybe having an understanding of how it's affecting them a bit better and why, which is something obviously we can look into ourselves, but maybe just a day, a lecture or something like that uh, of just introduction to it, maybe even getting to speak to palliative care patients would be uh, something good to introduce because yeah. then yeah. obviously they're going to like, Exposure is something that's very hard to organise yeah. on the road because yeah. you can't pick what patients nah. you go to. But maybe having palliative care patients who volunteer, of course, to come in and say, "I have this. I've maybe had ambulances out for it. Uh, this is how it affects me. This is what I'm expecting." Be something that just really helps us because at the end of the day, I think we've all went to a palliative care patient and maybe wanted to ask questions, and it's obviously not been appropriate. Yeah, yeah. And so you go, you at Google, that moment you in research, time, yeah. yeah because that patient has a lot going on and so being you have to go google research ask lectures ask people who you know do know some stuff and hope that they have the answers yeah. but someone who was willing maybe to give you the answers and like in a very open form be something that's maybe really useful for us yeah now i see what you mean exactly and i think for example when i've been on hospital placement yeah. when i was in my respiratory ward i did have a lot of uh, palliative patients in that ward and i think actually speaking to them openly about their condition and about their end-of-life um, care and how they were managing it, I think that was really interesting. So I yeah. think that's an opportunity that as students yeah. we should um, we should take on, you know, especially on in hospital because as you say, out on the road on the front line you can't really choose where you go to, yeah. but in hospital placements you've got that opportunity where you're with a with one single patient group and that could be palliative care patients and i think it's it's interesting to have that, conf- that those conversations with them i think one thing i took from my community placement as well some of the district nurses is that i think a lot of the time people think they're going to a hospice to die but they're not mm. actually they're going to have their pain maybe subdued so a lot, i think sometimes it's reassuring people just because you're referring them to a palliative care team or hospice it's not doesn't mean you're going to die i know you will eventually but you're being referred because we want to alleviate your pain and make mm. kind of end your life as pain-free as possible. I gotta have to agree with that because yeah. I, I was on rapid response for part of my community placement, and for most of it, I was in paramedic uniform. But um, for several of the days, um, I was cycling, so I was in cycling gear, and I seen how patients who had actually went to in that week, um, who may not have had a great memory of me, seemed to uh, interact with me slightly differently. And um, during that placement, we actually did have to call an ambulance for a patient. And um, while they weren't palliative care, I could see how they were much more hesitant to approach the ambulance service um, while having two paramedics, coincident- or a paramedic and a paramedic student in their home. But it's just simply because the flashing lights seems to be a bit uh, very intimidating and very maybe like a signal of yeah. an issue and that's, something's very wrong. That's yeah, what you've stigma. both said is really interesting because the term palliative or the term end of life, I think... Yeah. It means a lot and it might mean 
you still have 10 years of your life but it's yeah. a protocol that patients are put into yeah. for their benefit it doesn't mean that they're going to die tomorrow yeah. and i think some patients are a bit they don't really understand what that means for yeah. them and that creates a lot of fear i would say definitely i think a lot of people think palliative equals i'm going to die mm. soon but really it means i know you're getting a plan put in place to keep you as pain-free as possible exactly right so now let's talk about as pre-hospital clinicians once we graduate and even now as student paramedics what can we do when we go to a palliative patient what do you think in our scope of practice we are able to do the benefits these um these patients um i kind of i think our rule is uh obviously as i think i was mentioning earlier pal the just being so broad kind of changes what you do for everyone I think the very broad spectrum of it is pain management and dignity and that kind mm -hmm. of seems to be just like what's forced upon us because it seems to have been broadened rather than focusing on specific uh palliative things uh and so it's kind of just taught us okay man help that patient manage their pain um if potentially that day you're leaving that day or taking them to the hospital referrals to then further pain management medica me medicine reviews things such as that and then obviously keeping their dignity, uh, you know, being respectful of them, any maybe rituals or things they may want to have present. But as of like very specific towards patients, it seems to be something that's overlooked just because it's such a large topic. And so maybe being able to, especially in London, uh, where we both do placement, yeah. um, is a very broad culture. And so maybe having a good or better understanding of that might help us be a bit more respectful to our patients or just be able to be a bit more helpful with what might be happening because we understand their culture we understand what is what they believe is coming next whether it be heaven the afterlife reincarnation things and such as that and because that's the thing not every patient will fear death not every patient will uh be welcome death and so mm -hmm. just being able to adapt to that patient a bit better rather than just pain management and dignity and being able to give them what they may need a bit better might be something I think would be very good for patients. So kind of personalize everyone's yeah. care. Don't treat them as a group. See what needs each patient yeah. has and try and provide for them as I understand as that is kind of something that's difficult for us, given yeah. that we might see them once yeah. and we'll probably never see them again. And that we may not have mm. a great understanding of what We don't have through. that continuity of care. Exactly, though. which is something yeah. other. But then maybe referrals to other pathways is how that is. Okay, yes, in that moment we can do what we can for you, but by referring them on, potentially we can give them that support that they need that we might not be best suited for. I think sometimes when we're confronted with these patients, they are unwell, but sometimes maybe you were red for for maybe diagnosing them as acutely unwell and then bringing them to hospital. I think I saw a statistic that 50% of palliative care patients that go to hospital don't need to be there. Mm. So I think sometimes we are at risk of probably misdiagnosing or maybe we should be referring them to a service instead of, you know, all right, we need to go to the hospital, you're quite unwell at the minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah Especially if they are aware that at this yeah. point in what they're suffering from, they yeah. shouldn't mm. be this unwell. They know yeah. that this is coming. I think there's a bit of a grey area there where some clinicians think, oh, palliative care, most probably reduce capacity or no capacity yeah. therefore let's not listen to what they want let's just do what i want which is to take them to hospital yeah. to cover myself up a little bit but yeah. i think it's so essential to try and leave these patients at home if it's safe to do yeah. so 
um, because that is most likely where they would prefer to be. But then I think when at four o'clock in the morning when you're at a patient who's palliative care and you can't refer to them at any service, we're probably feeling them by leaving them at home if you yeah. can't give them substantial pain relief. So I think there is a fine line, really. I'd say the only pal uh, memorable palliative care patient I went to, um, sadly, passed while we were there and did have things such as reduced uh, GCS and, and such. Um, but they had made their met uh, sorry they had um made what they wanted to happen to them very clear prior with the family and the family were all in very much agreement of what they wanted to happen for the patient and so it was very nice to be able to understand what they wanted and just do it yeah and not have to be protective of them uh, of ourselves of our registration and things like that and just know we're giving this patient the best care that they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, I think that's very fair enough. Um what you guys have said is very understandable and it really reflects um the way paramedics um could be thinking about these kind of patients. Um when it comes to you know, paramedics and the profession is heading towards us being autonomous practitioners and in that sense we can promote um, patients being referred to palliative care teams, put on end-of-life uh, care pathways, having DNRs, inform them about DNRs. Um, what do you think our role is when it comes to promoting and discussing those decisions with patients? Um, I'd say it seems like it's a very blurred like responsibility we seem to have because any palliative care patient I have memory of going to seems to already have a very reasonable idea of what they're actually going to search as like for referrals to palliative care they tend to already have found out their palliative care and have referrals in place at least from what i've seen and so it does very much like it's at least left me in a very confused state of i'm not really sure what we can do for them as tom said i don't not all of them need to go to hospital but they have needs that need to be met yeah. and so i've never been too sure on like where the going point is if it isn't zero or a hundred if they don't, if it's not mm. absolutely nothing or an extreme that, gray that middle the ground middle, yeah. yeah it just seems very much of okay well what do we do in case of dnrs like um i've had and i know my mentors who have been with have had conversations with patients who are elderly and have had complaining of issues um, have you ever thought about what might happen if you die have you ever thought about would you like to be resuscitated and i've had those conversations and um, typically, they're the people I've had them with who have been very responsive to it mm. and very appreciative. And just on a, like, I think again, with what I was saying, of like actually have an understanding now of what might happen afterwards. Um, whether any of them followed through with what we said, I'm not too sure. Um, but I know that um, that from that point, they were okay. Yeah, this is something we need to consider. Yeah, and people seem to respond to it very well. Fair enough. The experience I've had, even if limited. Well, I think maybe sometimes the ambulance service they might need a follow-up service. So as I said, sometimes mm. I meet those acutely well patients. So maybe somebody that's chronic COPD, maybe in heart failure, that we have to treat very rapidly and then transport to hospital. Maybe there should be a follow-up service from the ambulance service that visit them when they're discharged and say, look, what about talking about these plans about it? maybe not resuscitating you if you were to have a cardiac arrest or maybe implementing a palliative care? Definitely. Yeah, I think... I mean, most patients who are diagnosed with, you know, um, a terminal condition, you know, they don't fall through the net in the hospital. Usually those yeah, discussions yeah. happen in the hospital. Exactly. But I have encountered when I've been out on placement, a few patients, which to me, 
have, you know, I thought, oh, this patient would really benefit from being under a palliative care team and they're not, or having a DNA CPR and they don't have one. And it's just kind of how do you bring those conversations on, you know, is it, it can be a touchy subject. Um, But you say, Bailey, that when you've had those conversations, people have been positively responsible. You know, they have responded positively. Uh, yeah, I would say they responded well enough. Obviously, it is a sense. Of, I think no one's been happy about the color. The yeah, no. But no one seemed, uh, at least from what I see, no one seemed to be in denial of their situation. But I think maybe that might come to come down sorry, to the fact that we have been called, we have turned up the flat. Like, in, in that circumstance, people tend to accept that we know everything. We're doctors on wheels. Mm. Or and that whatever we say is always right and we're without fault. And so being able to have those conversations in that setting maybe gives them like a, maybe we're influencing them slightly because they just trust us immediately. Mm. People, you know, people tell us things based on about their personal lives. They trust us. Yeah. And we're strangers who walk into their home. Mm. And so I'm not sure if that might be something that in that moment they think, yes, the paramedic, the doctor, whatever has told me this. And then afterwards is, but if is it something that sticks? Because it's been in a situation where they're panicked, they're worried, we're there to help them. We take them to the hospital, we drop them off, and it's something that they just don't think about. They haven't taken it on properly, maybe. Yeah. And so maybe being able to follow up, hi, yeah, you had this out, it was to do with this. And you had a discussion with the paramedic. Um, Would you like to take any action on it? Or maybe something before leaving hospital. That's something that could be maybe included in paperwork. Uh, just adding, we've got plenty of room for free text had a discussion with patient about DNRs, um, stated that they potentially would like one in place to be discussed at hospital. And I think that that would be something that would be kind of important to pass on during your handover to the hospital staff. But then the only issue is with handover, you're handing over to one nurse or one doctor. And so it's so, the time it gets to the next one and the next one and the next one, it's like Chinese whispers. I think there's definitely a missing link between ambulance service and hospitals for Mm. health care patients. I think it's a fair point. I think East uh, East of England ambulance service might have a good idea about it with the electronic because that can be then attached to that patient's name rather than maybe the paper, which can get lost, can get ruined a bit more easier. I think that might be potentially one way to like help assist with that notes that are easily accessible fair enough guys so thanks very much uh this brings us to a close for this episode uh where we've talked about the reasons why death might be a topic clinicians are not the most comfortable speaking about how we can improve this uh the training that we receive um and also we've chatted about how we assess and manage uh, end-of-life or palliative patients um and how we should have meaningful conversations with this patient group um, about their end-of-life decision. Uh, On next week's episode, we will be talking about paediatric patients. Uh, Once again, thanks very much, Bailey and Tom, for coming on the podcast and talking to us. To everyone listening, thank you very much, and until next week.